Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church today. Let's begin by having a prayer together at this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all your good gifts for us. We thank you for the gift you gave to the whole world, your son, Jesus Christ. It is death for our sins and his burial. And you raised him from the dead on the third day, never to die again. We thank you, Father, that you have made salvation so simple that it's merely a matter of hearing this good news about the death and resurrection of your son and believing it. And whoever does that, you declare righteous in your eyes forever and you provide them eternal life. Father, this morning, as we continue in the Gospel of John, help us to revere and worship your son. Help us to listen to what he has to say. Help us to accept the challenge that he's going to give us this morning in the passage that we have. We also pray for all the needs of the saints, Father, and you know what they are. And we ask for the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit in all that will be going on in our service today. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. John chapter 12, verse 20. Let's begin this morning. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Our passage this morning is a challenging one. The setting, remember, is that Jesus, in verse 23, has said that his hour had come. Now, it's his hour, remember, to be crucified, to die, and then be raised from the dead. That's so important to understand the context, where Jesus is at, what he's speaking about, what the hour is all about. That, that surrounds our passage this morning, which will be in verses 24 to 26. That, that, as it were, is the context. But this morning, after he says that, he then turns to his disciples and he teaches them. Oops. And what he's teaching them is what following him is really all about. Again, John 12, 24 to 26, truly, truly. That, of course, means pay attention. What I'm about to say is very significant. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, this morning, we see in verse 24 that Jesus is using a metaphor. In other words, a, a metaphor similar 
to a parable in that he, he starts with something in the natural world, in the everyday experience, particularly in an agricultural economy where they depended on the produce of the land as well as the, the sheep okay, in order to sustain them. And so they were quite familiar with how grain grows. And I, I dare say even us today who get our grain products at Publix, still, you know, we have a familiarity with the fact that there's a seed and it's planted and, and it grows. But Jesus is using this metaphor not just to tell a nice story, but to challenge his disciples and in and, and extension to challenge all of us as well. Now, first, he applies this metaphor to himself. Right. He is the grain of wheat. Now remember, he's just said his hour had come. Context is what is dying on the cross. And he's saying, I am the grain of wheat first and foremost. So Jesus is using this metaphor, first of all, to himself. He's saying, unless I fall into the earth and die, I remain alone. But if I die, I bear much fruit. But as we can see in verses 25 and 26, he then extends this metaphor to his disciples. And that includes us, because he talks about someone who loves his life, losing it and hating his life, keeping it. That's a choice. Clearly, that was a choice that Jesus Christ never really had to face. Well, I mean, he did, but he isn't talking about himself, right? And then in verse 26, it's crystal clear that he's talking about disciples, people who serve him. Okay. So the metaphor of the grain of wheat begins in the context of Jesus dying on the cross and then extends to all those who wish to follow him. First of all, of course, his audience, his disciples. And we know they had their troubles in following him, especially once they realized that he was going to go to the cross, that he was going to have to die. And since they were followers of him, they understood that that what they thought was their privilege and what their expectation was, was really dashed for the time being. And then they, too, had to be concerned about their own lives, so much so that Peter after he said, I'll follow you anywhere, I will never deny you, as we know, in the face of the challenge of death, he denied the Lord three times. And so clearly, when Jesus is talking to them, he's omniscient, right? And he knows that they will fail. By the way, when he's talking to us today, guess what? He knows that we'll fail from time to time, too. That's not the point, you see. If you think about the Gospels, now, Jesus' ministry directly was to Israel. However, when he's teaching things, he's setting a standard. And as he said himself, it's an impossible standard. Jesus said it's impossible to do all these things. When when the rich man was told that unless he sells all his possessions, he can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And the man went away sad and and the disciples went to Jesus and said, how can this be? All right. And he said, listen, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So Jesus sets this standard. It's a standard of perfection. Another time he told his disciples, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Okay, that's an impossible standard. Now, why would he and he keeps doing this? Now, why would he keep doing that? Well, the first reason is is so that everyone is crystal clear that not only are we sinners who need a savior, but even after salvation, without him, we can do nothing. 
and that everything about our life after salvation still is rooted and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ and in our growing in our knowledge and understanding of him. This standard will be met, okay? And as a matter of fact, in principle, in how God sees you, it already has been met. This is the amazing thing about being a member of the church age. The fact of the matter is when Jesus died, we died. And our life now is hidden with him in the heavenly places. And God the Father has already called us, said that we are righteous in his eyes. And so while it's impossible to meet this standard in our fleshly bodies, in our, in our sinful nature, as far as God is concerned... He sees us as already meeting it. Now, I don't know. I don't I never can quite grasp how that all plays together. In other words, my sinfulness, my falling short, the father saying you're perfect in my eyes. OK, that's that to me is a is I don't know what to do with that in the sense of trying to connect the dots. You see, but but what we really need to do is stop trying to connect the dots and simply believe all the things God has said and let the spirit teach us. And let us be content one day to see what's in a particular message, okay? And then have the Spirit apply that more generally to the base of the Word of God that's already in our heart, such that we come to a better understanding, a living understanding, an understanding, as Jesus says, about what eternal life really is. We're going to see that. Our, our concept of eternal life typically is very limited. It's, it's very limited in the sense that we are, we are time bound and we think of eternal life as being outside of time. Now, that's certainly true, but that's a small part of what eternal life really is. And we're going to see what Jesus in the Gospel of John defines eternal life as. And I hope that will open up your heart to seeing what the Lord is saying here in this passage. So first and foremost, Jesus uses this metaphor of the grain of wheat in the, in the shadow of the cross to say that I'm going to die. And by my death, there will be much fruit. We'll see what that fruit is this morning. But again, quite quite clearly on the basis of verse 25, and especially verse 26, he's also extending these, the metaphor to his disciples. So he, he uses it for himself, and then he immediately turns and extends this metaphor, the grain of wheat, to his disciples. And of course, that includes us. So, yes, first and foremost here in verse 24, Jesus is the grain of wheat that falls into the earth and dies. Jesus is the grain of wheat that falls into the earth and dies. And because of he, he dies, as the passage says in verse 24, he bears much fruit. Please turn to John chapter 12, verse 32. John 12, 32. Because soon after where we are in our passage this morning, Jesus is going to pray to his father and he's going to the father's going to speak from the clouds, from the heavens. And while he heard clearly what the father said, most of the onlookers just heard this great noise. Some of them said it was thunder. They had all their opinions as they always were having opinions about Jesus. In any event, when he does that, when the when that great noise that they perceive it was really the father speaking to Jesus. He then turns to that crowd of onlookers and look at verse 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw who? 
all men to myself. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He is the light that enlightens every man. This expression, I am lifted up from the earth, is speaking about his manner of death. This is not talking about his ascension into heaven at this point. That lifting up from the earth is when he's lifted up on the cross. And he's saying, if I, in the grain of wheat that dies, I will yield a great harvest. And notice what the harvest is. It's people. It's men. It's the Father drawing men. It's it's men hearing the truth about what Jesus has done on the cross and believing it. Now, the book of Hebrews also talks about this fruit, which Jesus bore by means of his death. The book of Hebrews also talks about what this fruit is that Jesus bore by means of his death. I'd like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. You love the Bible, I know. I know you do. And you love Mama too. It's good. <laughs> All right, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we do see him, Jesus, who was made for a little while lower than the angels. He, of course, as the Son of God, is higher than the angels, higher than all creation. But he humbled himself, becoming a man. And we are lower than the angels, okay, for a little while. Right, he was lower than the angels. He, namely Jesus, notice this because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Because the grain of wheat went into the ground and died, he's now crowned with glory and honor. So that by the grace of God, by the grace of God, grace gift, he might taste death for everyone. I will draw all men to myself. Jesus died for everyone. Verse 10, for it was fitting for him, for him, for whom are all things. This is him as the son of God, as the God man, from whom are all things and through whom are all things, the creator and the sustainer. Notice here's the fruit in bringing many sons to glory. Jesus is going to say in the gospel of John chapter 17, he's praying to his father and he says, I want them to be with me where I will be with you. And I want them to see my glory. Okay. So he is perfecting. Notice the father. Well, let's read the whole thing. For it was fitting for him, Jesus, for whom I'm actually, yeah, for whom are all things and through whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Now, this, of course, is talking about the fact that the father gave Jesus as a gift, had him go through death, and that and therefore was was perfected in terms of meeting the plan of God for his life and the author of our salvation through his sufferings and including his death on the cross. Verse 11, for both he who sanctifies Jesus and those who notice this are sanctified. That's believers in Christ are all from one father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. That's from that is from Psalm 22. OK, by the way, Psalm 22 is the psalm about the Jesus experience on the cross. 
I can count all my bones, and so forth. And yet, if you read Psalm, we won't this morning, but if you read Psalm 22, only the first half of it is about the death. The second half is about the resurrection and what happened afterwards. So here Jesus is speaking, and he's saying at the end of verse 11, I am not ashamed to call them brethren. You see, the seed that goes into the ground, this is Jesus and his body and his death, right, and dies, yields a great harvest. Now, here's the thing. If you plant a grain of wheat and it grows and it creates a lot of fruit, what's the nature of that fruit that it grows? Is it apples? Wheat. It's wheat, right? And so what he's saying here is that I consider those that are the fruit of my death on the cross to be my brothers and sisters. Now, not in his deity, all right? Put that away. I mean, that's that's the cults, right, that we become God. No, but in his humanity, okay, he, he, he considers us his brothers and his sisters. And not only that, but he says, Father, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. That's the fruit of his death. And then verse 13, and again, I will put my trust in him, but notice at the end, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. If the seed goes into the ground and dies, it produces much fruit. What's the fruit? The children whom God has given Christ, his brothers and his sisters, his family. He is the first of many brethren, the book of Romans says. So quite simply, the fruit is people. The fruit consists of the many brothers and sisters which the Father has given Christ on the basis of his death and resurrection. And therefore, it's every member of the body of Christ is, 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 is part of the fruit that came from the seed, Jesus, going into the ground and dying. Okay, let's go back now to John chapter 12, verse 25. John 12, 25. What we've just gone through is the application of the metaphor of the grain of wheat to Jesus Christ. But, of course, he's not done. First John 12, 25. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me... The Father will honor him. Now, if you think about what we're what we've seen about Jesus, what we've seen about his death, he's saying that my servant follows me. Okay, and where, wherever I am, my servant will be also. Okay, in other words, his servants, his disciples, follow him into death. Now, that death, of course, is not literal. It might be if you're a martyr. But it's a death that, that actually all of us have gone through because we've all been baptized into Christ, placed into union with him. When he died, we died. So, so this, this following him on the one hand is literal, especially for the disciples who, who were with him when he was on earth. That following him was quite literal. I mean, he was saying, you should be following me to my death. Right. He would, other times he would say, pick up your cross and follow me. Another time when when J- James and John said, we want to sit right next to you when you come into your kingdom. 
And the Lord says, I have a cup to drink first. Are you willing to drink it? And of course, that cup is also his death on the cross. So there is that sense, okay, which we see in the lives of the disciples, Peter and John and James and all of them. But then it also applies to our generation, to the church, okay, this same principle. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, wherever I am, my servant will be also. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that is that where he think about where he is now, okay, to get you a sense of the completeness of what he's dealing with here. Okay, so he's talking about our time on earth and the situations of death and the suffering at times. But then he's also talking about where he is now. Okay, where where he is, his servant will be also one day will be with him. If anyone serves me, my father will honor him. Now, this is where we begin to see that there's more here than simply life without end. Okay, that there's another sense in which when we, quote, hate our lives, we keep it to to life eternal. In other words, all the way from now until that time when we are completely having that reality of eternal life with the father. And then if anyone serves him now, the father will honor him in that eternal life. Okay, so this is this is we're going to see in a minute. This is not a salvation verse. How do we know that? How do we know this is not a verse about salvation? Hello, everybody. Maybe we should have coffee here in the morning. What is the gospel? Well, I know, but what is it? What is the what is the literal gospel? The death and the resurrection of Christ. Who has eternal life? Whoever believes in him. Do we ever see a passage, whoever hates his life will have eternal life? No, what? What's the gospel? Whoever simply believes. Okay, so this is not a gospel message. That's important. All these things I'm saying, I'm going to say again, all right, for reinforcement. Okay, but the question then becomes, what is it? What is he talking about? And we'll pretty much spend the rest of our time this morning answering that question. Again, verse 25, he who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Okay. And again, I just want to point out that his servant is beyond being a saint. Okay. Servanthood is something that builds on the fact that we're born again, that we're children of God. And, it, and he's saying to the extent that we live that life of service, there are there's additional, as it were, honor. All right. That the father will give us. And but then we'll have to see this morning. How does that relate to life eternal? So that's what we're going to see. So but the main point I want you to see just at this at this time is that that grain of wheat principle, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That also applies to the disciples of Jesus, not just to Jesus in his death and resurrection, but to his disciples as well. And again, by extension to us today. Now, verse 25 explains that metaphor of the grain of wheat that we see in verse 24 and applies it to the disciples and again, by extension, to us. So what, how do, let's put this together now. In, in verse 25, he begins by talking about the one who loves his life. 
he who loves his life loses it. He who loves his life. Well, if we take the metaphor and we now apply it to verse 25, what is it saying? It is saying the one who loves his life is like that grain of wheat that fails to go into the ground and die. So in other words, make the connection, right? He who loves his life loses it. What is that saying? That grain of wheat, if it doesn't go into the ground and die, he loses that life. So make that. So, so now we start to see, okay, so, so he's saying in some sense that the one who loves his life, now we're going to see what loves his life means, but that one who loves his life fi- fails to follow Jesus into into grow into into dying. All right, essentially. All right. Well, so this person, if you think about it, if a think a picture now a grain of wheat, and picture it sitting somewhere where it never goes into the ground and dies. Maybe it's on the top of a rock. Maybe it's on a road that just has dirt and sand. No dirt actually. So that that seed remains alone, right? It is therefore barren in that sense, unfruitful in that sense. But here's the sad truth about it. The fact of the matter is that that grain of wheat will eventually die anyway. It's not as if the grain of wheat will preserve its life by not going into the ground, right? It'll just die another kind of death. And that other kind of death would make it impossible to, to fulfill the purpose for which God created it. The purpose of a grain of wheat is not to stay on a rock and have the sun scorch it and die, is it? That's not God's purpose for a grain of wheat or else for birds to come along and devour it, right? That's not the purpose. The purpose is to go into the ground and die and bear much fruit. I'd like you to see how the book of Galatians puts it. Please turn to Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Now, verse 6 gives us a little information that helps to help set the stage for the, for the rest of this passage. I am reluctant whenever I teach verse 6 because people get it the wrong way. Say, there he goes asking for money, right? So... You know, that's an issue. That's a problem, quite frankly. It's a problem when people are thinking the preacher is asking for money, right? That's why, if you notice, I don't do an offering much. I never do an offering in the sense of passing the basket. I'm also careful about speaking about giving. Now, maybe I'm too careful. All right. So so I, I need to teach it, right? Um, I actually would prefer if somebody else would do, as we say, do the offering and come up and speak about the importance of giving. Little seed planted this morning, maybe for, for somebody here. In any event, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. In other words, there is an element of giving involved in our life together, in particularly hearing the word of God. Okay. By the way, that the giving is a manner in which, hold on, the seed goes into the ground and dies. We're going to see that. Or not loving your life in a certain sense. In any event, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For notice this, whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. 
So we're right back to the picture of seed, right? It tells us that we have the ability in our life to sow seeds. Whatever we sow, that we will reap, okay? This is not a prosperity gospel message, okay? This is a principle. It is a basic principle that says, however it is that we decide to use our time, our financial abilities, our efforts, okay? We will reap from that. We will, okay? Let's continue. For the one who sows to his own flesh... By the way, that is a pretty good description of what Jesus is talking about when he say loves his life. Sows to his own flesh. In other words, it's all about me. It's all about what I've been given. I'm going to use to serve myself. The one who sows to his own flesh will from that flesh reap corruption. In other words, you'll die anyway. You can't hold on to everything that God has given you forever, all right? Uh, If anyone's been face-to-face with dying, you understand what I'm saying. There's a point of time where all of those things, Josh, can we, I hate to, I want you to hear the message, but honestly, it's distracting. So again, verse six, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from that flesh reap corruption. You see, flesh will never, obviously, produce God's life. Flesh has no role at all in the life that God has given us, has planned for us. By flesh, we mean what? The old man, the the, the way we used to live when we were unbelievers, right? The selfishness. If you think about all the things that, for example, Paul talks about when he talks about the, the, the work of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, There's nothing good in that. Like Paul said, there's nothing good in my flesh. So if I sow to my flesh, what am I going to get? Anything good? No, I'm going to get corruption, death. Okay. When you invest your time and your money in the wrong things, you will find out that there's nothing living about what you've done. You've wasted it. All right. That's what he's talking about. Whoever sows to his own flesh will from that flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit Ah, so after we're saved, again, here too, this is not a salvation for us. We can sow to the flesh or sow to the spirit. Earlier on in the book of Galatians, uh, Paul said, he who walk by means of the spirit and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. The flesh and the spirit are opposites. They're antithetical to one another, right? Meaning they're, they're, they're fighting one another all the time. And here we come and we have choices concerning that. Right. The one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Now, if if we were to take that as a salvation verse, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? We'd be in trouble. In other words, it's only the ones who do this sowing, do this investment of their time and so forth, who will reap eternal life. If that's again, if that's if that eternal life is salvation, then 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 it's not by faith, is it? This is not salvation. And again, since it is talking about eternal life and it's not talking about salvation, I hope you start to say there's something else that eternal life is. Right. And and by the way, we're going to see in the next verse that it is not just something in the eternal state. It's now in the Gospel of John. 
you know, Jesus says, whoever believes in me has eternal life. So when we reap, when we sow to the spirit, we reap eternal life. All right. Then we see that it is something about time and it is something about investing, not just money now, but it, but our efforts, our resources, our time. Let it, Notice verse nine. Let us not lose heart in what? Doing good. OK, so clearly sowing to the spirit involves doing good. The one who reaps this reaps from the spirit eternal life is the one who does not lose heart in doing good for in due time. See, in this life, we will reap if we do not grow weary. You see that we will reap eternal life when. Verse 10. Well, what does verse 10 say? I'm sorry, verse 9. In due time, right? In due time. That's the thing I want you to understand. We will reap in due time. Reap what? Well, look at verse 8. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Okay, so we can reap eternal life in time. That's what I want you to see. And then in verse 10, what what does it then go to? Then... While we have opportunity, while we have time, while we have resources, while we have life, while we have energy, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are of the household of the faith. If anyone serves me, he will be where I am. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So here we see the discussion of sowing and reaping followed by what it is giving of our time, doing good, and that leads to eternal life. Let us do good, and again, not salvation. I can keep emphasizing that because we're going to look at what he's talking about here. And in John chapter chapter 12, verse 26, when eternal life comes up. So while we have opportunity, while we have time, while we have this life, see now this life is fleeting. We're not going to have it forever, but we have it now. How are we going to use the time he's given us? How are we going to use the resources he's given us? Now, how, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with our time? You know, in, in the Psalms, it says, um, Father, teach us to number our days. And we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Paul says, you know, be, be careful what you do. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. It's that sense. It's saying, how, what do I do with my time? What do I do with the things God has given me? I wake up in the morning and I, and I realize I have a day. I realize I have some health. I can use it. I have ears. I, I can hear. I can see. I have financial resources. I can do things. Now, I can do things and I can just think about myself all day. You know, where do, what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? What do I want to buy? Who do I, I want to just have fun and hang out? Or I can say to myself, you know, I'm a new creation. I'm a son of the, of the father. Well, what does the father do with his with what he has? Of course, he has infinite resources, but he's a giver. Right. So in other words, not. And I'm going to say something in a minute so that you don't get the wrong idea. But OK, so I can use what God has given me today to also invest in the things of Christ or in heavenly things. 
I got a choice. Let us do good to all people, especially those who are of the household of faith. That's believers. All right, back in John chapter 12, verses 25 and 26. John 12, 25 and 26. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world, notice that, will keep it to life eternal. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Or in another way of saying this, the one who loves his own life is the one who sows to his own flesh. The one who hates his life in this world will sow to the spirit. Again, putting some context on this. All right. We're going to see what it means in just a minute when, when, when Jesus says loves his own life. And again, hates his life in this world. We're going to look at that love and that hate to further develop what he's saying here and what he's not saying here. So what does Jesus mean by loving one's life? Versus hating one's life. On the surface, again, this is a very convicting thing, isn't it? To think about, he's saying I should hate my life. What is that all about? That's very, that's against my nature. That's against my understanding. Maybe it's even against what you think the Bible says, right? And loving your life, right? He's saying if I love my life, I'll lose it. In other words, this is pretty life and death, no pun intended, but this is serious business, right? To talk about loving my life and losing it or hating my life in this world. But what does Jesus mean by loving one's life versus hating one's life? Well, this morning, we are going to look at a couple of Greek words to try to understand this better, okay? Because the English, one of the things about the word love in the English is that it means all kinds of things. I love ice cream. I love my brother. I love my enemy. Is that all the same? Of course not. Well, the Greek is a little better. That's making some differences in in different kinds of love. In any event, the word here, when Jesus says, if anyone loves his life, is the Greek word phileo. Phileo. Okay. What does it mean? It means to be a friend to or to be fond of. All right. By the way, Philadelphia comes from this Greek word and another one, right? City of brotherly love, you could say. But it's to be a friend. It's subjective in that sense. It's loving on the basis of, in a certain degree, things I get back in that relationship, right? To be fond of. That's what it means. Whoever is fond of his own life will lose it. I want you to think about it. When, If you were to say, I'm fond of myself, I want you to think, what, what does that mean? I'm fond of myself. I'll tell you something. In its most extreme, loving yourself that way leads to what the psychologists call narcissism. Narcissism. By the way, that's, whoops, there. Narcissism comes from a Greek myth, Narcissus. This is a guy who looked into the water, saw his reflection, and fell in love with it. Loved his own life. And again, uh, I'm going to give you a modern um, situation. (laughs) Anyone see what that is? Instead of looking into the water and seeing yourself, 
you're looking into Instagram and saying yourself. But seriously, I mean, I mean, this world is designed to get us to be fond of ourselves. Is it not? Selfie. I mean, the very word selfie, right, says I want to take a picture of me. I'm more concerned with me than even the person I'm with at the time. That's narcissus. Right. He had a beautiful woman who loved him, but he fell in love with his own reflection and couldn't care less about that woman. Fond of myself. All right. So that's what it means to love your life. Well, what about the opposite? What about Jesus who says whoever hates his life in this world? Well, what's the Greek word for hate? The Greek word for hate is maseo. Okay, phileo maseo. And what that means is to have relatively little regard for something. To be disinclined to focusing on one thing in contrast to something that's preferable, more important. Or if we put it on the, on the level of people, right, it means to have disregard for the claims of one person or thing relatively, come on, to have disregard, right, I'm disregarding the claims of one person in favor of the claims of another, okay? So in the context, this, is, this really plays out, which is what? Well, I have disregard for my, the claims of myself in preference to the claims of Christ. Okay? That's what it means to hate your life in this world. In this world. Right? Paul said, I've been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. Don't love the world. John says in 1 John, that's what he's talking about. Another um, passage where Jesus speaks is in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. I'd like you to go to that now. Matthew, chapter 10. Here he says, talks about it a little differently. Give some, give some specific relationships, okay? But also, we can see what he's talking about, about love and, and quote, hate, phileo, and in the context of meseo. Verse 37, he who loves father or mother now. Are we supposed to love and honor our father and mother? Yes, aren't we? We're certainly not supposed to ignore them and hate them and treat them terribly, no, that's against the commandments, right? Honor your father and mother. Okay. Well, let's go on. He who loves father or mother, what? More than me. Ah, that's Masao, right? In this sense, okay, he who loves father or mother more than me, in the sense of our words this morning, means you love your father and, more, father and mother to the disregard of Christ. In other words, all I, all I care about is whatever my mom wants, I'm going to do, right? Or whatever my, whatever my children, they need, if they need all my time, I'm going to give them all my time. I'm going to forget about the things of Christ. Now, let me caution you here, too, because you can do both, right? This is also true when it comes to your resources. It's not saying totally neglect yourself, walk around like a bum, hitchhike, ride a bike, right, eat hot dogs, Nothing wrong with them, but a steady diet isn't so good. So it's not it's, so it's not to the exclusion, 
Okay, but it's relatively speaking. If I'm in a situation where it's clear that that what the Lord is asking me to do is crystal clear, right? But instead, I turn to my my own self interest. That's the problem. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Doesn't value me as as they should. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not, here it is, take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. In other words, when you get to the point where you say, I, I got it. I got it all going on. I, everything about my life. Leave me alone. I don't need anybody else. I'm going to just do what I want to do. Found his life. We'll lose it. Now, he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Nope. In the Gospel of John later on, Jesus is going to say a man, can, a person can have no greater love than to lay down his life for his friends. In the extreme, it does mean dying for somebody else. OK, that's the ultimate. But it, but in it, but but in everyday life, it also has an application, which is to be willing to give of your time. Gee, you know, I wanted to watch the eight, the upteenth basketball game today. That's what I want. If I just love myself, that's what I'd be doing. However, there's somebody who is needs counseling or somebody who needs my time or maybe my resources. Maybe I got to stop what I'm doing. Think about what they need. And meet their need right now. Right. So you, in that sense, you can lose your life as well. And then you'll find it. In other words, you, 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 you lose your, in a sense, you, you, you give up. You think of less importance to this world, worldly things. OK. And more importance to heavenly things. When it says find it, that's the same thing as when he says um, eternal life, life eternal. Keep it to life eternal. OK. So let's go back to John 12, 25. He who loves his life, fond of himself, has all of his focus on what he wants and his selfish desires. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal or that means to have disregard notice this for one's own life in comparison to that's the key the great regard he has for the claims of christ if you if you if the two of them are placed on the scales all right your priorities are such that you disregard your own life in comparison having the great regard for the claims of christ that's your priority that's the key. All right. That's the way, you know, if you say you love the Lord, that's what it means. To have to have less regard for the things of yourself and your life and your your desires and more regard for the claims of Christ. And of course, in the Gospel of John, by the way, the claims of Christ are really simple. I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Not just me, but love one another. And how Jesus love us, the grain of wheat that went into the ground and died, right? Or what Paul says, don't only be concerned with your own interests, but also for the interests of others, Philippians 2. That's what this is talking about. All right. Now, again, I want to caution you, as I have several times today, so you don't get the wrong idea here. 
This is not a salvation verse. All right. All right. What is the gospel? It is believing in Christ for eternal life. You see, keeping it, keeping one's life to life eternal is akin to what we've seen already in, the, in Galatians 6, 8, reaping eternal life in time and continuing. Because the thing is, is when you invest your time, invest your energy in the things of Christ, as we're going to see, you get to know him better. You get to know him better. And that's, in a sense, reaping eternal life in time. Let's look at what Jesus says about eternal life in the Gospel of John. I'd like you to first turn to John 5.24. Keeping it to life eternal. John 5.24. Plus, we've been here. Truly, truly, that's another, stand up and pay attention to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who, notice this, very clear, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me will one day have eternal life if he does everything I ask him to do. No. What? That's right. He has eternal life. And how do you have eternal life? You hear his word and you believe him who sent him. Believe, period. And again, does not come into judgment, but is already passed out of death into life. So so what, what Jesus is saying in John 12, 25 and 26 is not eternal life. It's not salvation. But let's look at what eternal life is. Let's notice how Jesus defines eternal life. I'd like you to turn now to John Chapter 17, verses 1 to 3. John 17, 1 to 3. Because this is where Jesus defines eternal life in the Gospel of John. So, so when he says, keep it to life eternal, he's talking about this. All right. What is this? How does he define eternal life in the Gospel of John? This is the key this morning to understanding what he's saying. Look at John 17, 1 to 3. He's praying to his father now. It's just him and his father. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he's praying. He said, Father, the hour's come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Even as you have given him authority over all flesh, that to all you have given him, he may give eternal life. Notice verse three. This is eternal life. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is his definition of eternal life. What? Talking to his father. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Can you know God in this life? Of course. As a matter of fact, what we do every Sunday is in the in the uh, hearing and understanding and having in our heart learning to love God, learning to know his ways, okay? Learning to have his priorities in our heart. But not only that, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Can we come to know Jesus Christ, whom God sent? 
Yes. Is it automatic? Can we just believe in Christ one time and never open our Bible again and sleep in every Sunday and not care about anybody else and come to really know Jesus Christ? No, no. But yet he says that's eternal life. And again, if this is a gospel message, then we're in trouble. Okay, but it's not. It's talking about eternal life in another aspect, another definition, another part of the richness of eternal life is growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his father. Okay, let's now return to John chapter 12, verse 25. One more time. John 12, 25. I'm going to give you another couple of Greek words. <clears throat> he who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Now, I want you to see that we have the word life used all right, in verse 25. And it looks it, just like love. It seems like life is the same, right? He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Well, it turns out that there are two different Greek words for life. All right, let me give you the first one. The first one is suke. You know what that means? Our natural life or, or sometimes our soul life, our life in this world. You see it? All right. That's one word. OK, so when he says he who loves his life, that's suke, for example. Life in this world is natural life. OK, by the way, every human being has this life. OK, OK. But there's a second Greek word here and it's zoe. That's God's life. When he says it, keep it to life eternal, that's zoe, life, God's life. So what is this saying? It is saying that keeping one's soul or natural life all the way to eternal life, or as it were, convert to taking your soul life and then using it so that you come to have a greater knowledge and understanding and love so that I'm keeping, I'm giving up White things about my natural life, but then I'm keeping a better life. God's life, life eternal, keeping one's soul or natural life to eternal life results from an exchange. Therefore, it's all about an exchange. What's the exchange? I'm going to exchange earthly things, in my natural life for the things of Christ, heavenly things. Jesus said it another way. You know, don't don't invest in things of this life. Right. Where moth can eat away and rust can destroy. Right. Rather heavenly things. Right. Or and he would define that as seek first, not only my righteousness and all these other things will be given you. Don't forget in the context of all this, that God remains a great giver, that God loves you a million times more than you love yourself. And he has said, now that you are my children, am I going to hold back any good thing? Right. Another way of saying it, Jesus says, listen, I say, if the father feeds the birds, how much more is he going to take care of you? So this isn't a matter of you 
not being taken care of, but that's God's job, right? Our job is to say, you know what? I have my priorities straight, and I, and definitely this is an exchange that I'm willing to make. Things of my natural life that I'm going to lose anyway at some point, and then when I exchange them for the things of Christ, now I have treasures in heaven. And that's what That's what he's talking about here. And by the way, that's what it means to reap eternal life in time. It means to have, as Jesus said in chapter 10, a more abundant life, like life more abundant. What is that? The, th- the things that only God can give his life. All right. To have a share in that and to have it more and more abundantly. So and how does Galatians tell us to do that? Let us not lose heart in doing good for in due time we will reap if we do not get weary. Or another way of putting it, to sacrifice or disregard one's own selfish interests in order to pursue the interests of Christ. Christ has an interest in your life every day, okay? And and you can either pursue it, like, like Timothy talks about pursuing righteousness and putting away with the old things, right, that, that all the other people around you are still chasing and pursue righteousness instead. That's the way we come to really know the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. And, and Paul puts it in a tremendous way, talking about his own life. And I'd like to see read that right now. If you could turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. I didn't intend this necessarily, but we're going to go a little long today. It's a good practice to exchange just maybe five minutes of your natural life for the things of Christ and God's life. Philippians chapter three, verse four. This is how Paul put it. Now, of course, Paul is a an extremist. Okay, he go went everything to the max. All right, not perfect, and he's going to say that later on. All right, but he got it. All right. He understood and was willing to do it. He was the worst sinner who ever lived and Christ redeemed him anyway. And he never forgot that. OK, so he was all in in that sense. Look at Philippians chapter three, verse four. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, his own own self life, as it were, I far more. He lists all the advantages in his life. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a member of the nation of Israel. I'm I'm of the tribe, the great tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a great Hebrew. As to the Lord, I went to the max. I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. Now, a lot of Jews would say, man, that's the ultimate. Okay, but notice verse seven. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. There it is. Okay, that is not loving your life, but hating your life in this world for the things of Christ. Verse eight, more than that, I count all things to be lost. Not just not just that's not just is not just a desperation. But it's a comparison in view of the surpassing value. And here's eternal life of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. Why? Because I'm a martyr, because I'm an ascetic, because I'm a monk. No. So that I may gain Christ, the exchange and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, 
derived from the law, that's not eternal life, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, there it is, that's salvation, and then using the rest of your life to do what? Verse 10, that I may come to know him, that's eternal life, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Okay, that's we've seen what it meant to Jesus. We've seen right here what it meant to Paul. What about us? Well, it turns out that Jesus wraps things up in our passage this morning with an appeal, an appeal to serve him. Quite simple. Okay, let's wrap it up. Let's go to John 12, 26. Because we have talked about metaphors this morning. We have talked about what, what he's saying about love and hate. We've talked about what life, two different kinds of life. But there's a place where the rubber, as it were, meets the road. Look at John 12, 26. If anyone, what? Serves me. That's where the rubber meets the road. He must follow me. And where I am, they're my who? Servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. That's unmistakable. What is he talking about? Serving, serving. And he's going to give a picture of it in the very next chapter when he washes the feet of his disciples. And he says, if I, as I have done, do for one another, right? Love one another, forgive one another. Whoops. I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Now we're going to tie it all together. We're going to start with Jesus as the grain of wheat, and then we're going to end up with one another and what we ought to do in our own lives. 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all. There's Jesus, the grain of wheat. Therefore, all died. That's us. And he died for all. Why? So that we who live his fruit by no longer live for ourselves, live our life, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So in the context of the grain of wheat, then, service means being sacrificial in your manner of living. It is to present our bodies living in a holy sacrifice, our spiritual service. It means laying down our lives for the cause of Jesus Christ and the good of others. It means this. It means to sacrifice our treasure, our time, our energy for the work, the ministry that God has called us to. It means putting the interests of Christ above our own selfish interests. Therefore, ultimately, it means to love others as Christ has loved us. We've been called to freedom. But don't turn it into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. That's Galatians 5.13. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we, we love the fact that Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the dead. And yet today he turns to us and challenges us. And he asks us to understand why he died, understand that we, we have eternal life, and, and at the same time, he defines it in a rich way to also coming to know him 
and his father, you. And so we ask today, Father, that we would put those things together in our heart and in our lives and recognize the work that you have given us to do and that, uh, that you have asked us to be sacrificial in that and be willing to give uh, financial resources, willing to give of our time and our energy and our concentration, our attention to the things that you have asked us to do in the days that we have remaining. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right, you guys are dismissed.